Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, January 21, and Jan Fran is back after a very weird Christmas. I did have a weird Christmas, yeah. I was I had four weeks off, but I spent two of them in quarantine in my home. Because, because you're... I- Fine dining got you into trouble. <laughs> I committed the faux pas of going for lunch, if you can believe that. And it turned out there was someone who was COVID positive at the same restaurant at the same time that I was. So I was deemed a close contact, which means I had to isolate in my home for two weeks, regardless of my test results, both of which were negative. Including Christmas Day. Including Christmas Day, yeah, and Boxing Day and Christmas Eve. Look, I was a bit pissed off about it when it sort of first happened. I was upset more than Mm. pissed off because I really did want to celebrate Christmas with my family. But then I kind of got over myself and it was fine. You know, you're in your own home, you're in your own bed. It's not like you're in hotel quarantine. I think there are people who've had their holidays ruined far worse than what I have. Well, later on in our briefing topic, we're going to find out how the vaccine rollout is going on around the world. Over 40 million people have already been vaccinated in over 50 countries. You know, the vaccine seems to be extremely safe. Most of the side effects have been you know, ones that, that you'd expect with, with vaccines, so arm ache, dizziness, headaches, things like that. Yeah, so we'll see how the rollout's going in those other countries so uh, we can get it right when we start rolling it out here in a few weeks. First, let's get to the big news stories of the day, starting with the inauguration. Yes, Joe Biden has been sworn in as the 46th president of the United States. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States. Office of president of the United States. Yeah, so that happened just before 4am our time here in Australia. And then he stood up and gave his inaugural speech. Uh, The new commander in chief made a plea for unity and promised to be a president for all Americans. Let's hear a little bit of his speech. This is America's day. This is democracy's day. A day of history and hope, of renewal and resolve. Through a crucible for the ages, America has been tested anew and America has risen to the challenge. Yeah, it was quite a rousing speech. I would say it was a bit more like a sermon than a political speech. It was kind of a a soothing call for unity. Um, He put democracy front and centre, as you heard there, saying it had really been challenged in recent times. You've got to remember, just two weeks earlier, on exactly the same spot, we saw that attempted insurrection, people climbing up those walls and breaking into Congress. So this was quite an, an interesting moment. He said that he'd work as hard for people that didn't vote for him as the people that did. Now, here's a bit more of that speech. On this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause, to fight the foes we face, anger, resentment and hatred, extremism, lawlessness, violence, disease, joblessness and hopelessness. Yeah, you can hear him there talking about some of the key issues that his administration plans to tackle. You know, he did name specific issues that are, I guess, politically divisive in a lot of ways. You know, climate change, the deaths from COVID-19 almost, well, around 400,000 Americans have now died from covid Joe Biden talked about the job losses. He talked about climate change. He named that. He talked about racial justice, which is um, alluding to the Black Lives Matter protests that we've seen over the course of 2020. He talked about tackling white supremacy as well, naming that by name. Unity, though, was the big theme here, I think, for Joe Biden. And he knows that he has a massive task ahead of him in uniting a a very divided country. Mm. 
I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real, but I also know they are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. I think in many ways a lot of presidents talk about unity when they are making that speech, though. In some senses, it was a really historic day for Biden. I mean, he is the country's oldest president at 78 years old and also a historic day for his deputy, Kamala Harris. She's the first woman, the first black American and the first South Asian American to hold the office of vice president as well. Yeah, and Donald Trump and uh, Melania Trump, of course, weren't there, but the Bushes were. Uh, So were the Clintons and the Obamas and the former vice president, Mike Pence, was also there. Lady Gaga was there too. Don't forget that. Um, She sang the Star Spangled Banner and who knew? She can sing. I gotta say, when I was watching her sing, I was kind of half hoping that Bradley Cooper would get up and join her. (laughs) (laughs) To kind of taper that out just a little bit, there was music. There was also a little bit of security. Well, when I say a bit, a lot of security. In fact, there were more troops in Washington, D.C., than currently serving in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria combined. Um, It did all go off without a hitch, though. No signs of any protest in the state capitals, um, which was suggested as a thing that might happen in the weeks leading up to the event. And Donald Trump, uh, before that all happened, left the Oval Office for the final time. Uh, He's the first president in 150 years to miss the uh, inauguration of his successor. He went to a farewell at Joint Base Andrews in Maryland before heading to his resort in Florida. I will always fight for you. I will be watching, I will be listening, and I will tell you that The future of this country has never been better. I wish the new administration great luck and great success. I think they'll have great success. They have the foundation to do something really spectacular. Basically saying that I set it up for them. All they have to do is knock it down. I set it up. Yeah, a great foundation there. He didn't mention the 400,000 Americans who have died from COVID, and he didn't mention the insurrection that happened um, just two weeks ago, which you know both feel like to put it mildly, it's massive elephants in the room there. Before leaving, though, Trump handed out a number of pardons and commutations on his final day. Yeah, on the list was his former White House advisor, Steve Bannon, who was accused of defrauding people who donated to build the border wall, and he could have spent years in jail for that. Um, Rappers, Lil Wayne and Kodak Black also had their sentences commuted. Yeah, in fact, there was 140 people who were pardoned or had sentences commuted, but the names left off the list were also as interesting Trump didn't pardon himself or his family, which some people thought that he might do. He also didn't pardon his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, or Julian Assange. I think there was an expectation that he might do that as well, and he didn't. Yeah, or a hope at least. Um, Another person with hope was uh, Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Um, He's in prison for trying to have Carol Baskin killed, and he was really, really hoping he'd be let out. He even hired a stretch limo and had his hair and makeup done in preparation. Oh my God, This is that's just the perfect end to this whole presidency, isn't it? <laughs> kind of sums it up. All right, Jam, we'll catch you tomorrow. In a moment, Annika Smethurst will be here as we look at the vaccination rollout around the world.
Tom, don't you think it's quite amazing that a year ago we were sitting here being told that it was probably going to be impossible to get a vaccination for the coronavirus, that we'd never had one before, yet within weeks Australia is about to start vaccinating people against coronavirus. Yeah, it's actually incredible. It's kind of amazing. And look, so far 40 million people around the world have actually already had the jab. That's in 50 countries and it includes some notable old people, such as the Queen and Joe Biden, who will, of course, be top of the list. Yeah, it's actually moving relatively quickly. Uh, America and China are going the fastest, with over 12 and 10 million people vaccinated, respectively. And, and Israel's an interesting one to watch. It's had the highest proportion of its population vaccinated compared to other countries. Uh, more than a quarter of Israelis have had their first dose. So this is a critical point to bring you a briefing on the vaccination rollout, because we're getting to see what's happening in other countries before it starts to roll out here next month. Yeah, so let's speak to someone who's had the Pfizer vaccine. Rob Deku lives in Washington State and recently had the vaccine. He works in prison rehabilitation. Rob, what was it like? Yeah, so I had the vaccine, the first dose of the two series vaccines about a week ago. And I I received the vaccine um, because I I work with uh, kind of at-risk people. So I work in an educational facility, uh, correctional facility. And the the vaccine itself was pretty easy, just like going in for anything else. You walk in, fill out some paperwork, took about five minutes, and then they give you a shot. And then you, um, we hung out for about 15 minutes, then back to my workstation. And uh, the only negative side effects I had, and I had some other people that had the same, was just a soreness in the shoulder. Um, so about two to three days, um, but nothing major, but more than you know, noticeable. And was that a warning they gave you? I know when I've had a flu shot in the past, I've had a bit of a sore arm around the injection site. Was it any different or how would you describe it? From my memory, I would say that it was a little bit more intense than others, but, and and they talked about that before we gave it there, said your shoulders are likely going to be sore for a couple of days. So Rob, you're a, you're an ultra marathon athlete. Um, you're doing incredible feats. You, I saw you, you, you did a, a running race that was 146 miles. So tell us more about why they put you at the top of the list. Yeah. So I, for the state of Washington, which is where I currently live, um, they decided that correctional institutions are in that one uh, A category, and so for me, I, I moved up here about six months ago, and I started teaching inside uh, through the local community college at the correctional facility. So they're giving the whole staff the vaccine so that we won't bring it into uh, the prison and infect the the population there. Okay, and so we're watching this pretty closely from here in Australia, Rob, because we haven't had any vaccine rollout here. Um, what message would you give to people watching? Um, I guess other countries like the US, where you are, go through it. For me, and, and part of the reason why I wanted to get it right away was I. it feels a lot like the polio vaccine where it's like the, the quicker that the majority of us get it, the less we'll have to deal with this. And, and it's not just for my own safety, but the, the safety around me, uh, of the people around me. I, you know, I want to get back into normal travel and um, you know, make sure that I'm not getting my, uh, you know, my mom or other uh, people in the community that are a little older, six. It's, this just seems like a move in the right direction for protecting us and so for me, as soon as people get access to, to getting it, I, like, I would encourage them to, uh, to move that direction. That was Rob Deku. What did you make of his experience, Annika? Look, I've had a number of vaccinations over the years, both because I like to travel and I don't like getting the flu. And I've always had a sore arm at the injection site. It does sound like that's going to be a little bit more than usual, but I don't think that's anything to turn me off getting a vaccination. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the most common side effects, but I guess I'm still watching closely, you know, if there are more 
adverse consequences from taking the vaccine. And that's the benefit of having the time to to see how it goes before we start next month here. Our government says that by the end of March, 4 million Australians will be vaccinated and by October we'll hit 80%, which is what we want to get to for herd immunity. Yeah, it sounds like quite an ambitious goal given it hasn't actually been approved yet. That's one small point to make. Mm. But it is due to start within weeks. So we'll see if that is realistic. We've got Professor Nancy Baxter on the line. She's a clinical epidemiologist at Melbourne University. Nancy, what's the biggest lesson we're learning from these vaccination rollouts in other countries? I think the biggest thing to take from the vaccine in other countries, and and we've now over 40 million, it was 40 million as of the weekend. So, you know, it's probably in the range of 50 million, at least by now, people have been vaccinated already uh, for COVID-19 throughout the world. Um, What we have definitely seen is that um, the rollout has been challenging in a number of countries. It's been poorly organized, despite the fact that, you know, there's been ample opportunity to to know that the vaccine's coming. Um, It's been been challenging for the countries that have been hit the hardest by COVID-19 to actually have an organized, efficient and equitable rollout of the vaccine. The other thing that we've learned is that, you know, the vaccine seems to be extremely safe. Um, most of the side effects have been, you know, ones that that you'd expect with, with vaccines. So arm ache, dizziness, headaches, things like that. There have been some allergic reactions. Um, so definitely if people have bad allergies, if they've you know had what's called anaphylaxis before, so a very severe allergic reaction, they do need to be a bit more careful with the vaccine. But even those people have been successfully vaccinated. There are some patients, um, some elderly, frail individuals who had other illnesses who died in Norway after uh, receiving the vaccine. But I think what's really important to note is that the reporting of adverse events in Norway is very strict. They're very comprehensive in terms of that. So those deaths... Uh, many of them probably had nothing to do with the vaccination. Um, So about 400 people in aged care die every week in Norway. uh, And these people were in aged care very frail. So Scott Morrison says he wants to see 4 million Aussies vaccinated by the end of March. Now, as you say, logistically, it's a huge operation. So how will we be able to get it? You know, what sort of ranking will there be? Can you just pop into the local chemist or line up at work like you did with the flu jab? How do we work this out? You know, I have to say that um, I don't think that that's in any way realistic. I think that's a completely unrealistic thing to say. Wow. Um, you know, the Pfizer vaccine will likely, you know, no vaccine has been approved at this point in time in Australia yet. So that's one thing. We don't have an approved vaccine. We're almost certain that we'll have two approved vaccines. They've been approved in many other countries, but we don't have a single approved vaccine yet. So the first thing we need to do is to approve vaccines. So we think we're going to have Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine approved at the end of January, um, so soon. The AstraZeneca vaccine, which we have the most of, the time period for approval there is probably mid-March. And it's likely worth waiting for that because there, there are additional studies that are coming out for the AstraZeneca vaccine. There's a study from United States that should be available by that time. So it'll be more data that can be used to approve it, to make sure it's safe and so that we know exactly how to deliver it. Well, yeah, it's interesting to think about which vaccine will make the big impact in Australia because a lot of people, when we saw the results come out from Pfizer, over 90%, and then we saw the AstraZeneca one, which we you know, have more of, as you say, was at 62%. How do you see the different vaccines playing different roles here in Australia, given you know which ones we have the most of? Well, one of the things I always like to emphasize when I'm talking about this is that um, 
you know, in the winter, when I was in deep lockdown in Melbourne, if someone had told me that we would have a vaccine that prevented almost all serious illness with COVID-19, so hospitalizations and a death from COVID-19, and, and did that extremely well, um, you know, I, I would have been, you know, ha- having a celebration. I would have been popping some champagne. Um, now we happen to be in this situation where we have multiple vaccines that are effective, all of them are effective in terms of preventing severe COVID-19. We wanted to clarify something on, on what the vaccines actually do, and it sounds like a really basic question. Do they stop you getting COVID? Do they stop you spreading it? Or is it just about stopping you getting really sick once you have it? Well, that really gets to the point, and that really gets to the differences between these vaccines. So the trials were done mainly with the end point of looking at severe disease, uh, less so for looking at transmission. The evidence is likely going to come out uh, about uh, with some some data about transmission, but the best we can tell by preventing both uh, severe disease and mild disease, so preventing most disease, it's likely that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines are more effective in terms of preventing transmission. So that 95% is is related to any COVID-19. So that probably means those are more likely to prevent transmission than one that, you know, you, you have a real number of people that will get mild disease. So then they're going to be able to transmit. So if you have AstraZeneca, you get mild disease, you're not going to be in hospital, you're not going to die, but you do have the potential to be able to spread it. So that's where people are talking about this concept of herd immunity. So if you have enough people vaccinated with a a vaccine that prevents transmission, then basically if COVID comes into your community, it's not going to spread. Yeah, so Brendan Murphy, um, who's the boss of the health department, former CMO, he he sort of gave some news this week that probably um, was disappointing for a lot of people. He said that even with the vaccine rollout, we might not be travelling freely overseas until next year. So I guess that goes to the point of what you're saying, which is about which vaccines actually stop transmission. Um, And I've read that the Novavax vaccine could be the best vaccine at stopping transmission. Is that the case? I would say that that is quite speculative. Um, And I would find it challenging to think that that vaccine will be more effective than Pfizer and Moderna. Um, But there's a lot of hope that it will be close. And it has a lot of a lot of more beneficial properties in terms of, you know, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines need to be kept uh, at cold temperatures. Um, Pfizer, very cold, minus 70. Um, so the Novavax won't need to be kept that cold. So it'll be a much easier vaccine to deliver. It's more like the the vaccines that we're used to delivering in terms of how it needs to be handled. So there are a lot of benefits to that one. Um, and it's not currently set to be made in Australia, but it could be made in Australia. The technology to make it is something that definitely could be done here without any change in processes or procedures. So there are a lot of benefits to that one. In other times when we've had vaccination programs, I don't remember getting a choice, say with a flu shot. So will we actually get a choice of what vaccination we get here or will it be a sort of get what you're given when you go to the doctor and will they be free? As far as I know that they are planned to be free and I think that that's an extremely important part of the program, um, you know, and, and that's even for people, it should be even for people who are visitors here. If you're in Australia uh, you're at risk, you know, and we, we start to kind of uh, relax restrictions. Um, you know, there's a risk both that you'll contract 
COVID-19, but also that you'll spread COVID-19 to the population. So we need to vaccinate everybody. And so the most effective way to do that is to make sure it's free and then we're not restricting it. Nancy, thanks so much for an incredible level of detail there. It certainly is a very interesting point of this vaccination process now where some countries are just getting started and we're here watching uh, from Australia as we make our own plans. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. That was Professor Nancy Baxter from Melbourne Uni. Incredible, Tom, that this is where we're at. We're nearly at a stage where we can get vaccinated for this damn thing. But look, it really comes down to governments now. It's like the scientists have done their role. They did the amazing work getting these vaccinations ready. It comes down to rolling it out and making sure everybody has free and equal access. Tomorrow on The Briefing, do you think we've got too many golf courses in our cities? You'll find out about a campaign to turn golf courses into public parks. A Podcast One production.